I've been in conversations for a while as a pastor and in ministry uh, with a variety of different types of people having a variety of views of the resurrection. Uh, and when I was early on in ministry in a paid position in this church that tended to lean a little bit more theologically liberal than I did, uh, I had a conversation with this woman uh, about various things in the Old Testament and New Testament that she found to be a little bit hard to believe. And so she would just kind of pick and choose things that were either miraculous or that involved uh, God's judgment of sin. And she just kind of said, yeah, I don't believe in that. And so her theology of the New Testament and theology of things like the resurrection was something akin to how she viewed like Aesop's fables. That they're nice things to think about and she believed in them sort of, but not in any real sense connected to historical record. Uh, that was tragic. But similarly, although not the same, I have a lot of conversations with Christians that they really do believe. They, 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 they would tell you Jesus rose from the dead, and I believe it. But it's not something they think about. It's like, well, Jesus rose from the dead, and also I'm going to order a pizza later. And it's, it's not tied to depth in them. And it's almost like, well, they believe, but it's not fully connected to their life. They don't see the resurrection as something that matters in the deepest sense. Although they would say it does, we don't see it reflected a lot. And I would say that many of us we were like, well, yeah, I know that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe it. But, you know, I'm kind of going on with my life. I'm, I'm, I'm going to work and I'm raising my family. And yeah, sure, I love Jesus, but I don't think about it that much. But I'd like for you to put yourselves in the position of the people in the first century. Um, and I want you to imagine the best story I can think of here. Uh, let's imagine that on April 9th, we go to do this service project at Miles Landing in Cleveland. I'm going to invite you to it now, by the way. Miles Landing is where there's a couple of house church planters, um, and it's kind of in the hood, and it's a little bit of a rough situation, and we're gonna, I'm going to go, and anybody who wants to, with several other people from our district, we're going to clean up Miles Landing, and we're going to bring God's good news there. But let's say we're there that day. And we see uh, some guy, actually one of my church planning friends, uh, his neighbor is a pretty rough character. And let's say that while we're doing cleanup, we see this guy attacking a woman. And we run over there to try to stop him. And before we get there, the guy pulls out a gun and shoots Joe. Um, and because my, my church planner friends, they know how to deal with things in the hood, they roll by in a minivan. I grab Joe, and we pull him into the van, and we tear out of there, and we get to the hospital. I'm telling a story about you, Joe. You're missing the first part of it. I'm sorry. And, um, but we get there, and Joe just dies on the table. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and so... I get a call from my buddy Will, who's church planting over there, and he's like, listen, man, that guy that shot Joe, he's part of this gang. They're really upset. You intervened with a hit, and so they're after you, so you guys better lay low. And so let's imagine that the very next Sunday, we're all hanging out together. Um, we're having church. We're grieving our friend Joe, and we're a little bit freaked out. We get the mini blondes closed. We're looking out every now and then because we don't know when the gang hit might be coming. And so we're freaking out. We're trying to lay low. And, and about the time we sit down to have our communion lunch meeting, together, which you guys know, we always have a meal together. Joe walks in in the flesh. I want you to think about what that would be like that our friend that we saw die is now alive and he's standing there with us. 
The reaction that I would have would just be overwhelming. I, I, I would be like, Kid, what, what in the world? And I would be hugging Joe, and I would be crying, right? And if you guys know, when I cry, I have this weird, crazy sound that comes out of my mouth. sounds like somebody's killing a cat. And so Joe would be the first one being like, okay, Dan, please stop crying because this is hard on all of us. You're ruining this cool moment. We would be high-fiving and praising the Lord because this reality of God raising our friend from the dead would be the ultimate confirmation of everything we have always believed already. It would be so thrilling. I would be going to my neighbor, Dave. I would knock on the door and be like, Dave, you won't believe this. God raised my friend Joe from the dead. And I would be going to my other neighbor, Cheryl. We would be, I would be running up and down the streets hollering about how Joe is alive. He was dead and he's alive now. And this changes everything. I would go, I would call up the mayor. I'd be like, this crazy thing happened in our town. You need to hear about it. This is really cool. Would you like, could we have like a town meeting where I could tell about this? And I would just, everywhere I went, I would be like, can you believe what happened at church Sunday? Somebody came back to life. And that reality, when it's, when it's pulled in this tangible thing, we, we can't not talk about it. And I think that for many of us, when we think about the New Testament, and we think about, oh yeah, that must have been awesome because they got to really see it. But I want you to think just for a moment, I might be getting ahead of, my, ahead of myself, but Jesus raises from the dead and hangs out for something like 40 days with the disciples. We don't see a huge amount of evangelism happening in that moment. We don't see this great, like, wow, and everybody was seeing this raised from the dead Jesus, and it was all the proof they needed. There were some cool things that were happening there. But what was interesting is when Jesus was raising, or was about to ascend into heaven, after he's hung out with them for like 40 days, he says, listen, guys, I'm going to go to be with my father. I want you to go and make disciples of every ethnicity in this world. And I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And when, you, when he shows up, you will receive power and then you will be my witnesses. How interesting that it was after Jesus rose from the dead that the day of Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit moves in this powerful way and that's when they seem to not be able to stop talking. That same Holy Spirit who was there right after Jesus rose from the dead when we saw so many people come to Christ is with us now. And so I want to take a moment. I want to have a look at Romans 10. Because in Romans 10, something really crazy is going on. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Roman church and he's talking to them about salvation. But as he's talking about salvation, he also seems to talk about proclamation. We're going to start in verse 8. And I'm going to pray while, we, while you're turning. Jesus, we are desperate for you. Um, Lord, I think of some of us uh, who have been prayer walking over the last couple of weeks. I think of new opportunities to minister in Lorraine. And I think of all the outreach and evangelism that's happening during the week. And Jesus, I have never felt more inadequate than I do right now in ministry. My dependence on your Holy Spirit is far greater than it has ever been. So Jesus, today, would you give us a profound understanding of your resurrection and the power that is available to us because of your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you move in power? Would you anoint us to be your witnesses? And would we go forth proclaiming your gospel? 
to help us to even understand all that that means. In Christ's name, amen. So Romans 10, I'm going to start in verse 8. It says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So Romans 10, 9, I'm going to draw some special attention to. And I I know most of you, and I think I know where you are spiritually. But as I've mentioned, I have plenty of conversations with Christians who don't seem to fully grasp the grandeur of the resurrection and the seriousness of it. And it's always interesting when I I dial in a little bit and say, hey, do, do do you really believe this? This is everything to me. Do you really believe it? In Romans 10, 9, we see two critical aspects to trusting in Jesus. And if we're going to describe the simplest gospel proclamation of of what you need to do to cross the line of faith, I think we see in Romans 10, 9. The two things that come up are to declare Jesus is Lord and believe that he rose from the dead. That's, That's it. It's about that simple. Tenan says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I think it's very intriguing that it uses this phrasing, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. I have noticed that we have a tendency to think of humanity as two parts. We think of the mental cognitive part of us, the rational part. We think of our bodies. We maybe tie in emotion somewhere. And so when I am communicating to someone about the reality of the resurrection, I have a tendency to want to jump into trying to bring about some type of evidence so that the rational part of a person will believe. And maybe last year you might remember we talked about that a little bit. I can go through a pretty compelling evidence for first century historical documentation and the martyrdom of the the apostles and this great evidence that Jesus really did raise from the dead. I have had no one ever get saved based on my rational proclamation. I think it's good. I think it's important. But I've never had anybody get saved based on me giving all this wonderful evidence. And similarly, I think for the person who doesn't know the Lord, whose spirit is not alive, they can talk a lot about emotion and say, well, I understand why you Christians, you have these warm fuzzies when you get together and you sing these songs that Hillsong wrote and you get all fuzzy and that's, that's where your belief comes from. And I understand why they think that. And I think there are maybe people who have made decisions based on emotion. In fact, I would, I would argue that most people, while they think they make decisions rationally, they really make them emotionally. Uh, I had a conversation this week with a, with a friend who is an atheist who's really kind of walked away from the faith. And as I'm talking to him about it, he's a very intelligent man. His, none of his evidence for why he has walked away lines up rationally. And so I spent time just kind of cal- casting doubt on his doubt, which was kind of fun, although I, I love my friend and it's, and it's kind of tragic, the situation he's in. But I'm, I'm just casting doubt on his doubt. And I'm like, yeah, there's holes in all of this, man. Um, but he made that decision emotionally and not rationally. And I will tell you that no matter how much I argue with someone, I can't get them to believe. And no no matter how much I appeal to their emotion, I can't get them to really believe. 
But we know, based on Ephesians 3, that when a person is born, their spirit is dead. And to the person who is walking in that death, there is no way for them to believe outside the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit in them. It is through that work that God brings people to salvation. And so when he talks here about believing in your heart, this place that we often refer to as the the seat of the soul in a person, when he talks about believing in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, I believe that Paul is referencing this spiritual act of God, this miracle of regeneration of the Spirit. It is something that he does, not us. But I tell you what, when it's happening, you know. So I don't know how long ago it was that you came to Christ, but if you would think to that moment when you came to faith, when you were, maybe you were reading through the New Testament or somebody was speaking to you, maybe you were hearing a sermon or or you had a friend that was witnessing to you, and and all of a sudden, it, it all comes rushing in and your spirit comes alive. We call this regeneration. And you say, my Lord and my God, you're real. Similar to the way that Thomas, we think of uh, Thomas right after the resurrection, Jesus shows up and we think of Thomas, of oh, he's, he's doubting and he said, oh, I'm going to need all this evidence. But when Jesus shows up, Jesus offers him the evidence and Thomas doesn't need, he says, no, I don't need it. The first thing he says is, my Lord and my God. In that moment of belief, he declares Jesus his Lord because God did a spiritual work in him. That same Holy Spirit that regenerated him at the sight of Jesus is the same Holy Spirit that we have right now doing a work in us and doing a work in those to whom we will witness. So let's read on. A little side note, I'm going to assume that you believe. If not, now is your chance, and you will know it. When, when, if you have been a non-believer your entire life, and the Holy Spirit is working in you, you know. There is something happening you cannot explain merely with emotion or with rationality. There is something happening in your spirit, and you've never known it to be alive before, and now it is, and it's wild. Let me just tell you, respond by declaring Jesus your Lord right now. You can just stand up and yell. I don't care. We'll, we'll, we'll adapt the service for that. But let's imagine that you have had that encounter with Jesus, and I hope you already have, and I hope that your mind is being drawn back to it so you can remember just what he did. I want to talk about the real point of the Apostle Paul's passage here in making disciples. And he talks about two things. He talks about proclaiming the gospel, and he talks about sending out proclaimers. Here in Romans 10, verse 14, he's already talked about in verse 13 about how Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's this very clear distinction that like you believe, you declare him, you're calling on him. That's, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're slave or free, whether you're rich or poor, when you make that declaration, you are saved. And he says, how then, verse 14, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. He breaks down this kind of logic here. He says, okay, so we know that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we know that they have to believe to call on Jesus. That the calling on Jesus is preceded by belief. And we know that belief is preceded by hearing the gospel. 
And we know that that hearing of the gospel is preceded by a proclamation of the gospel. But that proclamation of the gospel is preceded by someone being sent. I, I've been in, in ministry, man, for a really long time now. Uh, and I would say that the most difficult thing for me in ministry has been trying to get Christians to simply go and tell somebody about Jesus. And, and when I think back to like, the story, like if, if Joe rose from the dead and we saw it, how could we not talk about it? And, and when, you've, when you've had this interaction with a new believer who has profoundly experienced the presence of Jesus, their spirit is made alive, they can't not talk about it. In fact, sometimes it's a little bumpy, and they're like, I just this thing happened to me, and, and Jesus, and wow. And they, the gospel kind of bumbles their way out of their lips, but the Holy Spirit is working nonetheless. For many generations... In the United States and in other places, we have seen the work of the gospel as something that pastors did. That we set up a nice building, we attract either with really cool liturgy or with really flashy sermons and songs or with a really great children's ministry. And then the hope is that those people will come into that church building and hear the gospel and in that perfect combination of rationality and emotion that they will believe. But let me just tell you, we are no longer in a world where we can just kind of shake people up and hope that they believe. There, are, there is not enough rationality to bring anyone to faith, and there is not enough emotional ties to bring anyone to the faith. In fact, there is not enough to get any of them inside the doors of any church building. The only hope for the gospel to go forth is for you to go and make disciples. I am going to desperately plead that you would find your memory of when Jesus saved you, when you encountered him and you said, my Lord and my God, you're real. And I'm going to ask that you remember that and all the greatness that came with that and that you would go forth proclaiming the gospel. So the, the end of this passage here simply says that someone has to send them. How are they to preach unless they are sent? A little side note, this word for preach is a translation. It actually just means proclaim. I think we've tried to tie this to the job of a pastor. Like, okay, somebody preached. So yes, we need to send out pastors to go and preach. That's not what this is about. This proclamation of the faith is something that every believer is to do. Whether or not you have been educated for it, whether or not you're an expert in it, whether or not you have the gift of evangelism or not, this is what every believer is supposed to do. And so I am just going to tell you right now to go. I want you to think really practically. This is, this is not fancy at all. I want you to think very practically. Today, you will probably have dinner with someone. Maybe you'll go out to eat. Maybe you'll be with family. Tomorrow, you're going to go back to work. Somebody is going to ask you, how was your weekend? Can you talk about your encounter with Jesus and the reminder of the greatness of his resurrection as if it was Joe that was raised from the dead and showed up here today? Can you, it doesn't have to be weird and awkward, but can you think about what that would be like? Let's imagine that I'm sitting down and, and we're going to have dinner and a waitress says, hey, so how are you all doing today? And I, and I can say, you know, honestly, 
I, it sounds weird, but I've been thinking a lot about the fact that Jesus really rose from the dead. And I, I, I mean, this might sound a little weird, but it's, it's profound. Like he really rose from the dead. So anything's possible. And I'm, I mean, that's how I'm doing. I'm, I'm thinking about this is a huge thing, right? Right there, that was, a, that was a pretty natural gospel presentation. It's not the whole thing, but it's, we're salting a little bit in. And unfortunately, most people, when they, when they show up at work and somebody's like, how was your weekend? We say, it's fine, you know, watch some TV, whatever. Um, when we can say, well, you know what? Every weekend is pretty great because God saved me, man. And when we use those little opportunities to naturally let the gospel come out rather than finding a way to talk about anything else, man, if I could just inspire some boldness in you. Because if Jesus rose from the dead today and he, and he walked in, I, I don't think we could not talk about it. And when I find that we're not talking about it, my concern is, have you really met him? Because that's, that's, the, that's the only way. <laughs> and so I'm going to appeal that you would go. That you would find your Jerusalem and your Samaria. Maybe it's you knock on the door to your neighbor and you say, hey, listen, I hope you're doing well. Um, uh, I'm, I'm going, going around to the neighbors and just t- kind of taking some time to pray. And anything I'd pray for you about, um, and, and you talk a little bit and say, you know, I, I, just, I just need to tell you, um, this might seem really weird and awkward, and I, I'm not trying to be some weird religious freak, but I mean, you know me, you've seen me cutting my lawn, and I'm, I just can't imagine living here all this time and not telling you that, that Jesus loves you, that he died to pay the penalty for everything you've other, ever done wrong, and he rose from the dead to make sure you could have new life. And um, if that's something you're interested in, I'd love to talk to you more. But somehow we, we managed to go our entire lives. We sit, we're, we're near our neighbors, we're near our, work, our co-workers, and this greatest thing ever, we find every excuse not to share. I'm not asking you to be some weird freaks with megaphones yelling at people, but the supernatural power of God is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you, empowering you to go and make disciples. But man, we are... We, we fear and we lack boldness. So I'm going to pray. Um, and then, uh, you know what? I have some things that we could talk about and discuss for just a few minutes. Um, but I think more than anything, I want us to pray. Uh, I'm desperate to see the word, word of God go forth. Uh, if I'm, I'm going to tell you some of the things I'm doing right now. I do prayer walks three times a week. Uh, Greg goes with me on one. Matt Lawson, some of you know, goes with me on another. I'm getting ready to start another one in Lorraine where we just prayer walk. And when I, when I interact with somebody, we share the gospel. Um, I am meeting regularly at Starbucks over here, and I'm finding every opportunity I can to share the gospel. Uh, I am talking to my neighbors and I'm pretty much pouring myself out to make sure that I am sharing the gospel in the most naturally supernatural way possible. And I just need you to come with me. So let me pray. And then I've got a few things for us to discuss. Jesus, you promised your Holy Spirit would come and that we would receive power to be your witnesses. Jesus, give us power. Anoint us by your Holy Spirit. May we be bold proclaimers. God, uh, I've heard it said that there's nothing more natural for the natural than the supernatural. 
And I've also heard that, uh, that in most churches, we're, we're neither operating naturally nor supernaturally. God, God, would we just be so natural with the proclamation of the supernatural, with the proclamation of your gospel, that, God, it wouldn't be perceived as some awkward, fake thing, but that just the joy and the zeal that naturally comes out of knowing you would spill over as we evangelize. And so on this day, when we remember you raising from the dead, we are so very thankful. God, make us so thankful that we can't not tell anybody. And so we ask all this in your name. Amen. So if you all would take just a couple of minutes here. I've got a few questions here. One, um, would you take some time to discuss whoever's in your row? Talk a little bit about where are you already going that you can take Jesus with you there? Maybe it's work. Maybe you're in kids' sports. Maybe you're in a club. Maybe it's your neighborhood. Where do you already exist where you can bring your conversation to the gospel. Uh, Second, where are there people that need Jesus that you could go to? Uh, I have a friend of mine, uh, Peyton Jones. He is a serial church planter. uh, And his thing is to go where people are desperate. And he will do street preaching in, you know, homeless areas. Or he'll go to a park where a lot of homeless people live. And he says, I know that there are people here that know they need Jesus. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to bring the gospel there. You have an opportunity in things like that. Are you willing to go there? Uh, I am going to West 20th Street in Lorraine this week. I'm going to take a walk on Thursday. I'm going to walk down West 20th Street where I know people are desperate. And Jesus is going to be going with me. If you would like to go, let me know. I will, I will, I will help you on point two. On April 9th, we're going to go to Miles Landing where there are already outposts for the kingdom there. We are going to walk and pray and pick up trash. On May 14th, we are going to do trash pickup around Amherst because it's our city. And we're going to walk and pray and we're going to take Jesus with us and we're going to take the gospel with us. If you need something to kind of help you get out, I'll help you. Uh, Lois is here. Lois actually helps take care of families in housing transition. I could get you helping out her overseeing an evening when people need a place to stay. I will, I will get you there. I will get you around people with a desperate need for the gospel if you are willing to go with me. So would you just let me know? I know we have some people that are going to be listening to the podcast later. Shoot me an email. Give me a call. Show up with me on Thursday. I will take you to where it is dangerous. And I will take you to where there is need. And Jesus is going to come with us. So, anyway, the very last thing. If you want to kind of explain how you would share the gospel to somebody. If you don't know, it's okay. I'll t- we'll talk you through that. But we maybe just take a few minutes. We're going to talk about making disciples. Just in a little bit of conversation. And then we're going to come back. I'm going to have some announcements. We're going to sing a song. And we're going to go on our ways. All right? Thank you very much.